to Matthew 26. Matthew, the 26th chapter. Matthew 26, and we'll look at verses 69 through 75 this morning. Our message is entitled, Restoring the Fallen. Let's read our text this morning as we begin. I'll read as you follow along in your copy of God's Word, beginning in verse 69 of Matthew 26. Now Peter sat without in the palace, and the damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto him that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also Thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Here is a picture of God's servant, Peter, I think it's both humbling and instructive. The fall of Peter is set before us as a beacon, a shining light, yes, even a warning light. It has many warnings and many lessons for us, and any careful reader of God's Word cannot fail to notice that Peter's fall is recorded at considerable length by all four of the Gospel writers. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were all inspired to write out the details of this sad event. And yet not one of them offers a word of excuse or explanation in defense of their friend and their brother. And this is one of those things which indirectly demonstrates the truthfulness of the Holy Scriptures. If the Bible were nothing but a compositions of men, just some writings that men put together, uh, it would never have written, been written with such that the great apostle to the Jews, so weak and sinful that he shamefully denied the Lord and Master. But this story of Peter's fall was written by the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit, and it was written for our learning and our admonition. And I trust the Spirit of God who gave us the story actually four times will inscribe its lessons upon our hearts by His grace for Christ's sake. Notice, first of all, with me, the solemn night. And try to picture that cold, bitter night if you can. It was a most solemn occasion. Disciples had just eaten the Lord's Supper. The Lord Jesus had told His disciples very plainly of His betrayal by Judas his death as their substitute, and the fact that all of them would forsake him. And on this evening, the Lord preached the message that is recorded in John chapter 14 through 16. And on this evening, his disciples heard him offer up a great prayer of intercession as our great high priest as recorded in John chapter 17. Peter, James, and John had spent the evening with the Son of God, 
in the Garden of Gethsemane. The soldiers came to arrest the master. Judas betrayed the Son of God with a kiss. And Peter risked his life to defend his Lord. And then Peter denies him three times. Now why do you suppose that this record is given four times? Why were each of the writers of the Gospels inspired to tell the same sad story in such detail? We had time, we would go back through each one of them and and read each account. But surely the Holy Spirit would mean for us to know that it has special attention. And I think there are four things that appear to me to be obvious reasons why so much attention is given to this uh, of Peter's fall. Number one, our Savior's suffering. Peter's denial of the Lord Jesus must have greatly increased the pain and the grief of our Savior's suffering. I mean, to think that someone who had followed him for three years and had been with him and been close to him now rejects him, denies him, uh, that would be very painful for any of us if a friend did that to us. Secondly, I believe it shows us God's saving grace. The Holy Spirit sets before us here in a very most emphatic way both the power and the immutability of God's saving grace. And then thirdly, I think a reason would be that it's given to us is because we are surely tempted. The divine comforter, the Holy Spirit, knew that we all are subject to the same temptations that Peter was to overcome here. And then fourthly, it helps us to see our own frailty. And without doubt, this fourfold record of Peter's fall is intended by God to be an instructive lesson for us considering the frailty of even the very best of men. Now the Word of God does not tell us much even about the best of those men who lived in Bible times. The history of God's saint is really very uh, very uh, scanty, brief, if you will. Yet the Bible very particularly and meticulously records the faults of God's children. Ever notice that? We always see the, the bad things they do and not very much of the good things. We do see a little bit, but we always see the bad things. Seems that the Holy Spirit kind of goes out of his way to remind us that the very best of men are only men at best. Listen, and I realize most of us here this morning will realize this, but Peter was not the infallible bishop of Rome as the Catholic Church pretends. Peter was a frail, fickle, fallible, sinful man. And the only thing the Pope has in common with Peter is his denial of Christ. Now, Peter's fall seems to say to each one of us, you too are weak. You too will fall if left to yourself. So don't trust yourself. Trust Christ completely, entirely. Lean on him consistently. Do not rely upon your own experiences or the imagery 
that you think, well, hey, I'm strong, I'm, I can handle anything. Don't think your faith is really that strong. Satan has desired to have you as well, and he will sift you as wheat. Christ alone can hold you up. Christ alone can keep you. And as, you care, as we care for our souls and honor our God, let us never stop being prayerfully watching over our souls, seeking grace from God to keep us from the evil that is in us. We're all sinners, just like Peter. But all who know God's saving grace in Christ would want to magnify and honor their Lord in this world. We want to live for the honor and glory of God. Our hearts shudder and tremble at the thought of bringing reproach upon the name of our blessed Redeemer. And yet, I think all of us know that unless the Lord himself preserves us, we'll deny him too. And So those are some reasons why I believe this is given to us and given to us four times. Notice, secondly, the circumstances here. Soberly, think about these circumstances of Peter's fall. We're not considering the fall of a lost hypocrite or an apostate. Peter was not a lost man, but he was a saved man even when he fell. Not only was he a saved man, but he was an apostle of Christ. He was a gospel preacher, a man who truly loved the Lord Jesus. Peter was a true believer. He was a child of grace. He was pardoned and accepted in Christ. He was a man of strong faith, of firm conviction, of unrelenting zeal. But he was a man, just like you and me. A man whose heart was by nature full of sin. And on this particular night, the evil of his heart broke out in an unrestrained, blasphemous denial of Christ, a denial that was accompanied with foul oaths. As we consider the circumstances of Peter's great fall, you'll notice that there were no extenuating circumstances to excuse his guilt. In fact, there appears to have been no reason for it at all. Everything recorded about it only aggravates Peter's guilt In this matter, Peter's fall seems very strange because he's the one of the Lord's most highly favored and highly honored disciples. We would have expected this from any of his disciples before we would expect it from Peter. But the Lord had done so much for Peter. Peter was one of the most, the very first men to whom the Lord. Jesus revealed himself in the world, one of the first to be saved by the power of his grace. He was of the inner circle of the master's friends. He appears to have been a chief spokesman for the early church. Reminds us, let all who are highly honored of God in this world be warned. The greater privilege and higher honors, the greater our responsibilities are, and the more horrible our offenses. Peter's fall is especially sad because he had been plainly and faithfully warned of his great danger. The Savior told Peter exactly what was going to happen in the very plainest terms possible. He knew the danger to which he was exposing himself when he walked into the high priest's palace. Satan desired to have him. His faith would be fiercely attacked. And he must watch and pray that he enter not into temptation. 
But Peter walked headlong into his sin. He rejected the light and the counsel that God had given him. He ignored the light of God's revelation. Peter's guilt is aggravated by the fact that it came so soon after he had confidently declared his loyalty and his faithfulness to Christ. He at least implied that he was confident, that he was loyal, that he was dependable, probably the most. Remember what it said back in verses 33 to 35? Look at it there in verse 33. It says, Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men should be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. And just an hour or two after making this bold, arrogant profession of love and commitment, Peter is swearing an oath and denying that he ever knew Jesus Christ. The apostles' fall did not come at once, but by decrees. Great life-threatening sicknesses seldom come upon men without warning. Usually there are symptoms to warn us that something is wrong. And even so, believers seldom experience sudden falls into grave sin. Usually there are symptoms that something's wrong. And the problem is, we ignore the symptoms. Someone has written this, Christians and the world are sometimes shocked by the sudden misconduct of some great professor of, the, of religion. Believers are discouraged and stunned. The enemies of God rejoice and blasphemy. But if the truth could be known, the explanation of such cases would generally be found to have been private departure from God. Men lo- fall in private long before they fall in public. Now notice that the Holy Spirit records some very specific series of steps by which this great this man fell and his remarkable faith descended into such a low condition notice the steps number 1 he was far too confident and proud you see that back in verses 31 through 33 he was very confident he was very proud secondly then the lord told him to watch and pray did he watch and pray no he slept he went to sleep the Lord, uh, he followed the Lord, as we saw last week, afar off. Yes, he followed the Lord, but it was afar off. And then he chose to sit with the scorners. And then he denied his master by decree, degrees as well. According to Mark chapter 14, at first he pretended not to understand what the maiden said. What did you say? You know, we don't want to. We don't want to listen to somebody. We say, well, what did you say? And then he denied that he knew the man. It was a denial of his own confession. When Jesus asked him, who do men say that I am? Peter was the one who said, thou art the Christ. And at last he took up oaths of a profane man, swearing as he denied his Redeemer, as if to prove his point was by foulness. There are many, many ways by which men and women deny the Lord Jesus Christ, but usually the falls of God's saints are not sudden. Normally the great falls are preceded by 
much smaller inconsistencies, and it takes very little to make a great saint fall into great sin if God leaves him to himself. Peter's trial was nothing but the word of a weak young woman who said, Thou thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth. These steps kind of remind me of the psalmist when he said, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. It's a downward, downward by degrees. And here's another aggravation of Peter's terrible sin. All of this was done very close to the place where he and his, uh, the Lord and Master uh, at, was at the time of, of suffering for him. In fact, the Lord Jesus was standing right before his eyes. He heard every word. But then notice, thirdly, some reasons. How can we account for all of this? How did such a great man come to commit such a grievous evil? And I remind you again, Peter was not a lost man. He was a saint. He was a child of God. He was redeemed by the blood. He was justified in Christ. He was saved by grace. He was sanctified by the Spirit. Peter, a faithful giant among faithful giants, and few before him and few after him could stand shoulder to shoulder with him. He was a man strong in faith, firm in conviction, bold in preaching, and unrelenting in his zeal for Christ. This man was eminent in and even among the apostles, a, a leader among leaders, an example among examples. How did this man, so great, so unique, in so many ways, come to commit such a horrible offense? <coughs> this man, great as he was, was just a man. He was just a man. And like you and me, he was a man whose heart by nature was full of sin, whose flesh was weak. And Peter was far too proud of himself, far too confident of his own strength. Pride goeth before the fall. And he was overcome by fear of men. In this case, by the fear of a woman who had no obvious power against him. He neglected watchfulness over his own heart and soul. I suspect that like Eve, Peter had begun to doubt the Savior's word. Is that really what God's word says? And when Satan begins to put doubt into our hearts, watch out. We're getting ready for a fall. Would we have responded differently? How would we have done if we were put into the same situation? What about the times in our lives when we've been too embarrassed to speak a word of testimony, even when we're among fellow believers? What about times when the Spirit of God is prompting us to give a testimony or even a gospel tract to someone that we meet along life's way? How do we do? Something to think about, isn't it? We can't be too critical of Peter here because we too are embarrassed about our testimony for Christ. Then fourthly, notice Peter's preservation. Peter fell, but he did not perish. 
His faith weakened, but he did not die. He sinned, but he was not cast off or forsaken. He denied the Lord, but the Lord did not deny him. Peter belonged to Christ, and Christ can never lose one of his own. The good shepherd can never lose one of his sheep. Peter fell, but Christ graciously raised him up. It's written in the scriptures, The righteous falleth seven times a day, but the Lord raiseth him up. Peter belonged to Christ. He was one of those sheep to whom the Son of God had given uh, eternal life, and he promised they shall never perish. And so Peter was graciously preserved and restored by the hand of God. And how did the Lord restore his fallen child? Again, there are four ways by which God graciously restored Peter. The very same things he uses to restore fallen ones today. Number one, a special work of providence. The Savior performed a special work of providence to preserve his fallen. It says, and immediately the cock crew, verse 74, And the Lord has many ways to reach the hearts of his chosen. There are many roosters that he can cause to crow to awaken his erring children. We might not always think they're roosters, but he has his reminders, doesn't he? Special work of providence. Secondly, it's a work of grace. Providence is made effectual only by the Lord's work of grace in and upon the heart. The Lord turned and looked upon Peter, it tells us in Luke. What a look that must have been. The Lord turned to Peter, and Peter did not turn to the Lord. He looked upon Peter, not in anger, not in disgust, not in wrath, not saying, oh, you stupid disciple. Not That's not the way our Lord would have done it. But he did it in mercy and in love and in grace. That look reflected all the tenderness and the compassion and the faithfulness of Christ toward his fallen sinful children. With that look, the Lord Jesus silently but effectually looked into Peter's heart. He seemed to say, Peter, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Ye have chosen me, but I not chosen me, but I have chosen you. I have given you eternal life, and you shall never perish. I, uh, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions. In me is thy righteousness found. I am thy strength. Return, return unto me, and I will pardon. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. A work of grace. And then there's the word at work. The word of the Lord performed its work in Peter. Notice there in verse 75 what it says. The first sentence, and Peter remembered what? The word of Jesus. Jesus, the word of Jesus. If we do not remember the word that has been preached unto us, all is lost. We cannot escape the wrath of God if we let the gospel slip through our ears without effect. 
And yet we are sure to do so unless God the Holy Spirit be the one that bring all things to our remembrance. Was the word of God graciously and effectually brought home to Peter's heart that worked repentance in him? And we must never presume that the word of God has no effect because it has no immediate effect upon the hearts who hear it. Peter was not immediately restored by the word that he had heard, even when he was made to remember it, but he was restored. The word of God never returns to him void. How many times has that happened to you? Oh yeah, I remember what it says. Well, that means we have to have been there before we can remember what it says, okay? If we're going to remember what God, God's Word says, we've got to spend time there. We've got to spend time with the Lord in His Word. Peter had spent a lot of time with the Lord Jesus Christ listening to His words. How much time do we spend in His Word so that the Spirit of God can bring to our remembrance the things that we've heard. And then notice the advocate and intercessor. Luke tells us that the Savior's work was Peter's advocate and intercessor. He says, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Luke twenty-two thirty-two. As a great high priest and intercessor, the Lord Jesus Christ prayed for Peter's preservation in faith and restoration by grace even before he fell. That same great high priest is our advocate on high today. He intercedes for you and me right now. And he has interceded for us in eternity past. These thoughts thrill my heart. I'm I'm filled with joy and gratitude and praise when I think about how that Jesus Christ is my advocate, my intercessor. The Lord Jesus Christ, full of tenderness and mercy, His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Jesus Christ is a faithful Savior. If you're a true believer this morning, you may be assured of this fact. Your sins will never separate you from your Savior. You never shall for any reason, for by any means, be separated from His love, banished from His presence, put us outside of His favor, lose His mercy, cease to be the object of His care, or fail to be kept by His saving power. What a wonderful salvation. How a great salvation we have. Because it's been brought about by a great Savior. And then notice Peter's restoration. The Lord's work for Peter and upon Peter was effectual. It accomplished its design. Peter's heart was restored. Satan had run him through his sieve, but Peter lost nothing in the process but the chaff. And so Peter himself was used as an instrument of good for Peter. Peter's trial and his fall were not accidents. Satan ran God's child through a rough sifter, but Peter lost. He came out of this thing a much better man than he was before, as he clearly is clearly displayed in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. Even this tragic affair was under the control of God's sovereign providence and according to his purpose of grace. You know, 
The devil can't do anything God doesn't allow him to do. The devil is often used as an unwitting vassal of God Almighty. The dragon of hell is as much included in all things working together for good to God's children as the angels of light. And then notice what it says here. The end of verse 75, and he went out. Peter went out. Once the fire was restored in his soul, he no longer wanted or needed the fire which the Lord's enemies had kindled. He immediately forsook those who had, who had turned his heart from the Lord. And he went out of the place. And notice it also says he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. Sin is no light thing to be, to, uh, to be dealt with. It's not a light thing for a regenerate soul. And maybe there's been a time in your life when your sin was realized and you wept bitterly. Convulsive weeping came upon Peter when he realized what he had done. He could not even stand himself. His heart was crushed. And at that time appointed, the Lord Jesus came to Peter to convince Peter that his love for him was real. Now as we conclude this morning notice there are some lessons some very needful lessons here obviously there are some lessons in this sad piece of history that we need to learn lessons we ought to ask God the Holy Spirit to graciously apply to our hearts we remember Peter's fall we need to learn something about ourselves because we're all too much like Peter we're fickle we're sinful Wretches by nature, and there's no evil in the world of which you and I are not capable. So let's not be presumptuous, let's not be proud or self-confident, but let's watch and pray as the Lord told Peter to do. And again, I'm reminded here that salvation is of the Lord. From start to finish, salvation is by the grace of God alone. All who are saved by grace are kept infallibly secure in Christ. And all who are in Christ are as secure as the very throne of God. Notice the lessons. We are secure because God, our Savior, is faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13-14 says, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not against about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Secondly, a lesson that's very important here, His grace is sure. We see this later at the tomb of our resurrected Savior, according to Mark 16, 7, go, But go your way, tell His disciples and Peter that He goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see Him as He said unto you. And then thirdly, the Lord Jesus Christ will not leave his own. He will not let his own leave him. Jeremiah thirty two thirty eight says, And they shall be my people, and I will be their God, and I will give them one heart and one way, and they, that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts 
that they shall not depart from me. And fourthly, he abideth faithful, even in the teeth of our most horrible sins against him. God urges us to confidently trust him. It was in anticipation of this very fall that the Lord Jesus had said to Peter, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then number five, keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. In other words, cling to Christ always. As often as you fall, quickly return to your Savior. He will receive you. He has forgiven you. He will be gracious to you. Thank God for His love and His mercy for us. Our Father in heaven,